Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to rightly divide the Word of God for the people of God. And today we find ourselves still in the book of Ephesians. Uh, last time we were together, we were doing session five. Nope, session four. We were actually in session number four. And uh, let me see, we got down to verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Uh, So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles real quick. You can see my notes right there. Um, Why has God determined all of this for us? To those of us who have trusted that we might be to the praise of his glory. That's just the easiest explanation of why God is so good to us. I remember I pastored a church, and I'd say, God is good. And the people would say, all the time, and I would say, all the time. And they would say, God is good. Those were some good times. I remember that. Always would open my messages with that, and then I'd always end with the blessing, the Lord bless thee. It was such a... I have some awesome awesome memories. Awesome memories. Um... Um, let's go ahead and look in, uh, verse number 13. We're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today, and we're going to explain what Paul meant when he was speaking about those who had trusted after that they had heard the word of truth, which was the gospel of their salvation. We're going to talk about the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the earnest of our inheritance, which will be realized one day. So, uh, let's see, got everything here. Let me go back to, let me get my notes and my verses up here. Ephesians chapter number 1, uh, verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So in whom, if you look back in verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom, so the whom is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ whom we who we trusted after that we heard the word of truth. So the word trusted is italicized in the King James. You can't see it in my notes, but if you look over in the scripture there, see that word trusted, see how that is italicized. The old King James translators, when they added a word that was not in the original text for clarification, to be totally upfront and honest, they would italicize that word so that the reader would know that word was not an original part of the text. Um, The New King James does that as well. That tradition continued all the way down through the New King James. Um, I don't know of any other translation that actually does that. Uh, Only the King James does that. Uh, And if you followed me for any length of time, I am very partial uh, to the KJV. And it is an issue of manuscripts, transcripts, uh, as far as I am concerned. Um, I believe that it is the most accurate uh, translation based upon the manuscripts that it came off, the Masoretic and the, t- and the received text. So that's a whole course that 
I'm not ready to go down right now, but I do believe that it is the most accurate, and that's why I've, I've stuck with it. I've stayed with it because of that. That's something you need to study. Uh, that is not something that needs to be argued. It's something that needs to be studied. So the word trust is italicized in the KJ meaning, in the KJV, meaning that it was placed there by the translators to make the, to make the statement clearer, but it was not necessary in my opinion. If you removed it, it would read, in whom ye also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Uh, so, and, and again, that word trusted, the words trust, faith, believe, um, I believe they're all basically interchangeable. They basically mean the same thing. Um, today, our culture is being ripped apart because of truth. It's being taught as something that is a that is not a constant. How many times have you heard someone say, well, that is my truth? Uh, there is no such thing as your truth, buddy. Uh, there is the truth, and then there is your opinion. Uh, but our culture, through the public education system, has removed the concept of absolute truth. There is absolute truth, and I am absolutely sure of that. Had a, had a young college kid many years ago came up to me and said, There is no absolute truth, Mr. Spearman. I said, are you absolutely sure of that, buddy? Uh, because you are stating an absolute truth by stating there is no absolute truth. Um, and that's sad. Uh, there is no your truth. There's just the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All that stuff is taught by the devil himself. When the devil started teaching that in our education system, it was an, a direct attack on Christ. You know, man thinks he's so smart when he does nonsense like that. You know, evolution. You know, evolution for years was seen as, you know, just a, just a, a theory that was debunked. And then years ago, America decided, you know, we need to teach evolutionary theory right alongside of creationism. You know, it'll never take the place of creationism, but it needs to be taught as a, a possible, plausible theory. And then notice today, creationism is not taught at all in the public arena. It's been completely replaced by evolution. And evolution is just as much a religion as Christianity is, because it takes faith. It takes just as much, I believe, even more faith to believe in evolution because there's zero evidence for it. There's been zero evidence for a missing link or one life form transforming into another, one kind becoming another kind. You can't cross a dog with a cat. You can cross various breeds of dogs, but you're not going to cross a dog with a cat. You can cross a, a mule with a horse, or uh, you know, but you're not going to end up uh, with a dog, you know, it, it just doesn't happen. The kinds do not cross, and the Bible talks about that. We, we've found no missing link. Even Darwin talked about the importance of finding something like that, but it's been completely embraced. Why? Because the devil wants to get Jesus, the devil wants to get Christianity out of the public arena, and he has done a marvelous job at that while the church sets back and twiddles its thumbs. And, of course, now you've got theistic evolution. Well, hey, maybe God did it um, through evolution. You know, he created the heavens and the earth, but he allowed it to take place through 
evolutionary theory. Uh, that's called compromise. That is not what Genesis teaches, in my opinion. Um, make no mistake, it was the devil that planted that idea in, my, in man's little overeducated pea, pea brain in an attempt to deny God and to cast doubt on the Bible. If you can, join, if you can, if you can cast doubt on Genesis 1-1, then you can cast doubt on everything thereafter. Um, it's the devil. He is in the business of destroying uh, man's faith in God. And everything I know about the living word is found in the written word, the word of God. Everything I know about him is found in the Bible. Everything else outside of that is experiential. Uh, and then notice it says, uh, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. The word of truth reminds me of Romans ten fourteen. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? The word of truth uh, in Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In order for something to be heard, it's got to make a noise. It's got to make a sound. It has to be spoken. What is the word of truth? It is the gospel of your salvation. And where do we find the gospel of our salvation? It's not found in John three sixteen. Sure, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But that verse does not contain the gospel. That, that verse is simply a statement of fact. <clears throat> the gospel that you and I believe today was not taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because there had been no death, there had been no burial, and there had been no resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. So you want the definition of the gospel, which also ye have received and wherein you stand, by which ye are saved. So we are saved by this gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, lest you believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. What did Paul receive? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, <clears throat> that is the gospel, my friend. That is the gospel of our salvation. Someone asks you what the gospel is, that's it. And it's amazing how the church has spent so much time trying to make that complicated. They do so because they do not rightly divide what Paul said from what the 12 said. That's why they end up adding things like baptism. You got to get baptized. You got to go, do good works. You got to stay faithful. You got to endure to the end. You got to speak in tongues. Where are they getting all that? They're getting that from the kingdom gospel, which was preached by the 12 that did not involve the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All salvation requires, my friend, is, a, is belief plus nothing. Belief plus nothing, okay? And then after that happens, he says in the rest of that verse, he says, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The seal being referred to here speaks of a mark of ownership. He placed his seal of ownership on us at, at the moment, we placed our faith, trust, 
believe in him. It's just like a signet ring. I wear a signet ring uh, from time to time. It's uh, got Louisiana Baptist University on it. That's where I went to to school and uh, one of my schools. And it's got a seal on it. Now, the monarchs and even business people of old would carry around a seal ring, a signet ring, as we call them even today. And when they had a, a document, important document, instead of licking an envelope, sticking a stamp on it, hand, 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 handing it over to the U.S. Postal Service, they would write it out on a scroll, they'd roll it up, and they would seal it with wax. They would drop the hot wax on them. Then they would take their seal, and they would impress their seal into that hot wax, signifying that it came directly from them because they're the only one that has that signet, that signet ring. God has also placed his seal of ownership on us the moment that we placed our faith in him. And he says in verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the purchase possession under the praise of his glory. So after that sealing, which is the guarantee of our inheritance, or that sealing, better said, is the guarantee uh, of our inheritance that we will be given when we are redeemed. And we've been talking about this. I believe that our redemption will take place at the rapture of the church. In Philippians chapter 20, verses 20 through 21, for our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior. What are we looking for? We're looking for a Savior. We in the body of Christ, uh, we're not looking <clears throat> for the second coming. The second coming <clears throat> happens at the end. Excuse me. <clears throat> the second coming happens at the end of the tribulation period. We are looking for a rapture, which happens before the tribulation period starts. We're not looking for the Antichrist. Uh, he's not going to be revealed until after we're moved out of the way. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body that it may be fashioned into his glorious body. We're looking to be glorified. We're going to receive our glorification according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Now, Randy White uh, points out something um, at this point, that trust can only come about after the hearing of the word of truth. The gospel must be shared with words because the gospel is not a love that can be displayed, but a logic that must be accepted. And that's true. Uh, it has to be spoken at some point. You know, and you've heard me quote St. Francis of Assisi. Um, I assume he said it. I mean, historical documents seem to indicate that he said, live your life, uh, preach the gospel unto all men, and if necessary, use words. Oh, that's a powerful statement. It is, but it is not a justification. It is not enough. You're going to have to eventually open your mouth. I mean, you can live a right, righteous life before man, but eventually, you're going to have to speak the word of truth to him. You're going to have to share the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, giving him the opportunity to accept that. So again, the word of truth for the body of Christ is found in 1 Corinthians, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Um, I think I already quoted Romans 10. Uh, no, I didn't. Romans 10, when speaking about the word of truth and that it must be spoken. Uh, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Okay, eventually it's going to have to be spoken. And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Um, it has to be spoken. Again, this message must be shared with words, not just actions. That's why it's called the spoken word. And then notice that it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the order of salvation is you hear it, you believe it, and you're sealed. The word sealed means to stamp for security or preservation. Uh, kind of similar, you know, it's mentioned in Revelation, speaking of the 144,000, which is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 times 12, 144,000 who are sealed in their foreheads for supernatural preservation protection during the tribulation period when they are again preaching the kingdom gospel uh, to specifically the nation of Israel, giving them an opportunity to accept what they rejected, which was the kingdom offer, which was given in Acts chapter number two by the apostle Peter. The sealing is also mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30, where Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed for the day of redemption. So we have been sealed for the day of redemption. You know, that is just one of many reasons that I believe in the what is called once saved, always saved, or what it should say is once saved really saved, always really saved. I just think there's a lot of people today that think they're saved and they're not. They believe the false gospel. They're bought into a church. They walked uh, in an, uh, an aisle <clears throat> on the third stanza of just as I am. They've placed faith in something, but they haven't placed faith in the resurrected Savior. Um, they have been manipulated, so to speak, either by themselves or by the preacher or by the music, and they've had an emotional moment, and they have interpreted that to mean salvation. And then when they walk away from it, they walk away from it, people say, well, look at there, they lost their salvation. I would tell you, brothers and sisters, they never had it. They went out. They went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would not have left is what the Bible says. They bought into something, but they didn't place true faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Once saved, always saved. And bear in mind, any argument that is made um, for one being able to lose their salvation is going to have its roots, its foundation in the kingdom gospel. It's going to have its foundation in the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or the Hebrew epistles. But you're not going to get that out of a Pauline epistle, Romans through Philemon. They're not rightly dividing. And the fact that we're told to rightly divide means that we can wrongly divide. 
yeah, Jesus told, you know, the 12 and 12 told the nation of Israel, you need to endure to, to the end to be saved. Uh, they said you need to repent. You need to get baptized um, <clears throat> or you can you can you can lose it. Um, again, they're wrongly dividing. They're taking a kingdom gospel uh, and, you know, they'll say, well, yeah, you walked the aisle, but you didn't get baptized. Because the gospel says you got to be baptized, so you never you were never saved, or you lost something. I mean, anybody that walks away with saying you can lose your salvation is because they're pulling scriptures out of context that was written to the nation of Israel, and not to the body of Christ. That's why we me emphasizes the supremacy of Paul. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Everything that Paul wrote was for the church. Bear in mind, there was no body of Christ in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. The twelve did not address issues of the body of Christ because they were still focused on the nation of Israel, trying to get them to repent and get baptized so that God can send them the kingdom that he was offering and ex- offering exclusively to them. The kingdom wasn't offered to the Gentiles. The kingdom was offered to the nation of Israel. You and I aren't looking for a kingdom. We're not going to be a part of the kingdom that does come. The kingdom is for the nation of Israel. It is it is a national kingdom. It is a fraternal kingdom. It is a real, physical, earthly kingdom that Christ will rule and reign over on this earth. And it was offered to the nation of Israel. So if you're going to walk away and say, oh, you can lose your salvation because you're not enduring, because you didn't do this and you didn't do that, or, you know, you didn't endure to the end, um, you're getting that from the Gospels. You're getting that from the kingdom gospel, not the grace gospel. The grace gospel has to be accepted by faith. Well, how can you accept something by faith and lose it by works? Unless indeed you did gain it by works, you can lose it by works. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a cyclical argument. So the primary point of this verse is not the inheritance, but the sealing which is the promise of preservation. The spirit of promise is received by faith and not by works. Uh, Galatians 3.18 says, For if the inheritance be of the law, didn't I just say this? If the inheritance be of the law, it is no more promise. But God gave it to Abraham, how? By promise. Understand, Paul builds his foundation for the grace gospel on Abraham 430 years before the law was even delivered to Abraham. Abraham was not justified by the law. Abraham, 430 years prior to the giving of the law, was justified by faith in the promise that God gave to him. And he's saying that is the same faith that you and I must have today in the body of Christ, understanding and believing the grace gospel. So the inheritance is not of the law, but it is of promise because God gave it to Abraham by promise 430 years prior to the delivering of the law to the nation of Israel. And then notice, and I'll close with this, that it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession. Who's the purchased possession? You and me, you and me. You know, um, <clears throat> that word redemption is apulutrosis. It is used 10 times in the King James, three of them right here in the book of Ephesians. Uh, 
and it's a compound word, which means the act of ransom. Uh, and who pays a ransom? The one to whom it belonged. We, the body of Christ, we have been purchased. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. And the redemption refers to our being delivered from corruption. And when did corruption come in? At the fall. Remember, we talked about this last time. We're not being redeemed from the law. You know, we're not being redeemed from the law. Again, Abraham was justified by faith 430 years prior to the giving of the law. We are being redeemed from from corruption that came into the world as a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. It predates the law. Um, uh, Ephesians 4.30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption. When will be the day of redemption? When God redeems us. Now, of course, that process began at Calvary, on the cross, but it will be culminated when he actually comes and takes us. Romans 8.23, And not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Understand, to wit the redemption of our bodies. So our bodies are going to be redeemed. We're going to get this inheritance. We're going to be adopted. We are predestinated for that. And like I've said all along, predestination has nothing to do with salvation. It's got everything to do with what God wants to do and is going to do in our lives. And he did this to the praise of his glory. Well, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, he loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.